0: Good morning, friends. Today's message, how we restore broken lives. My text for today comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Mark shared the story of Restore. Now, he could have titled it, What Are We Planning to Do? This past Sunday, I shared why we do what we do. And today, I want to explore how we do what we do, which is really. How do we restore broken lives? Now, let's be honest, brokenness is a bestseller in our society. The sins of people, all kinds of people, both high-profile celebrities, unfamiliar faces and names, they're all hot items in our sin-saturated society. And let's admit it, we love to watch people fall. I mean, witnessing and then condemning is kind of a passive hobby for many people. Now, this passive observation of destruction doesn't take any skill, no commitment, no investment on our part. We just kind of scan our Facebook feeds or our favorite online news sources and pick up on the latest stories of self-destruction and public humiliation. Now, I need to confess something to you. On the morning that I actually started writing this message, I heard the story of a life kind of swirling down the drain. And I have to admit that if I were not working on this particular section of God's Word that we're studying today, I would have probably thought to myself, well, there's another pervert off the street. I'm not proud to admit this, but that thought is simply evidence of my hard heart. And there is no doubt in my mind that the reason I had other thoughts is because of the scripture I had been studying all week. So instead of seeing this man that I'd never met before as a pervert, I I thought about his family. I thought a man who knew what he was doing and was wrong. And I thought about the consequences of his actions on his life and the impact on his family. And I wondered if there would be anyone, anyone who would go to him and help gently restore him. Now, my experience with those who have been exposed, those who are suffering under the weight of their sin, is that people kind of run away from them like cockroaches when the light comes on. So how are we to respond to those who fall and find themselves suffering because of their brokenness? Are we to turn our backs and walk away? Are we to kind of wink at their sin and tell them that it's no big deal? What are we to do? Now, these are great questions. They're important questions because sin is pervasive. It strikes at the very life and its residue is found on the doorposts of every home and every heart. I want you to think back to the words of brokenness from John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, We make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. See, this scripture from 1 John shows us that we're going to be confronted with the sin of our own lives as well as the lives of those that we love and those we've not yet met. When sin raises its ugly head and takes its toll upon the lives of those around us, we are called to head out on a mission. Now, the mission that we are called to is not a seek-and-destroy mission, but a search-and-restore mission. Now, there are two ways to do this, and here I want to share a quote from a Franciscan saint who wrote, There is a clean way to do ministry and the messy way. The clean way is to give money or clothing to organizations that serve the poor. The messy way is dirtying your own hands and personal service to the poor or the broken. Friends, we don't have to spend too much time talking about how our sin nature manifests itself in things like drunkenness and envy and uh, fits of anger and sexual immorality and on and on. We don't have to talk about our sin nature from a theoretical standpoint. We know its effect in our, uh, in our own lives. We have felt its consequences. And we've suffered from its bondage and addiction. I want you to think back to the uh, reading today from Galatians 6, where Paul gives us instruction on what we are to do when someone is caught in sin. See, it's interesting that Paul gives more instruction to the ones helping those who are caught in sin than he does to the one who actually did the sinning. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should do what? Restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. So think about that phrase. If someone is caught in a sin, what sin? What kind of sin? Was it a serious scandalous sin that brought a prison sentence or public humiliation? Was it something that most people don't even consider sin? Is there no civil or criminal law against this? Were they justified in doing what they did? Was it just a moral lapse or an ethical leave of absence? (laughs) Well, guess what? Paul doesn't say what kind of sin the person found himself caught in. Quite honestly, I'm happy about that. I mean, all sin, no matter what kind, yours, mine, and everybody else's who's listening to this message, leads to destruction, and because of this fact, it is imperative that we, the body of Christ, do something. Now, if you look back at verse 1, you can see that those who are spiritual are called to do something. Now, the Greek word for spiritual is pneumatikos. It means part of the man which is akin to God and serves as his instrument or organ, one who is filled with and governed by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you know that uh, at Christmas a year ago, I bought myself a 30-volume set of the uh, Apostolic Commentary on Christian Scripture. And as I studied this verse in, in that book, I want to read to you what it is uh, they wrote. And it, it goes this way. Spiritual believers are those, who, those walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and manifesting the fruit of the Spirit, who by virtue of their spiritual strength are responsible for those who are fleshly. The spiritually and morally strong have a responsibility for the spiritually and morally weak. We who are strong, Paul says, ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourself. And that's from Romans 15, verse 1. Spiritual believers are to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with all men. Now, I could almost end my message and say, Amen, let's just do that. But I have a little bit more to say today. You know, there's a way to admonish admonish the unruly. There's a way to help the weak, to be patient with people, and restore those people who are caught in sin. And Paul says in our text today to do it with what? Gentleness. Now, maybe some of you will remember that within the cluster of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. When someone is caught in sin, they are to be restored with gentleness. Now, there is a distinct and definite connection between galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit and galatians 6 1 and it's the gentleness of the spirit of god the fruit of the spirit comes from god and not from us therefore it's easy to conclude that if we're going to engage in missions and ministries for the purpose purpose of restoring fallen brothers and sisters then we must do three things we need to walk in the spirit we need to abide in the spirit and we need to keep in step with the spirit We can't try to reach out and remedy the sin of our brothers and sisters in our own power. Now, let me share with you some further evidence why restoration is the work of God through the lives of His followers. Paul writes, You who are spiritual should restore Him or her, them, gently. And I hope you notice that word restore in verse 1. The Greek word kataritzo literally means to mend or repair. And was sometimes used of restoring harmony among quarreling factions in a dispute. It's also used of setting a broken bone or putting a dislocated limb back in place. See, the person who has sinned, and that's all of us, are broken. Uh, They don't need to be reminded of how terrible their sin is or how far they've fallen. They just need to be mended or repaired or restored to what God desires for their life. See, there is... No doubt that the Word of God plays a role in the restoration process. A commitment to trust God when there seems to be no hope is an important aspect in their recovery. See, these things are true, but there is one other component, one more vital link to their restoration, and it's this. The gentle, consistent love and nurture of the Spirit of God flowing through the lives of God's people You who offer outstretched arms of grace instead of fingers of condemnation. I hope you got that. And where did you learn this grace? Where did you learn this gentleness? Well, that's a great question that I I think I know the answer to. It's found in John's Gospel. It's in chapter 8. It's a very familiar story. I'm going to read it to you. The teachers of the law and Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, you know, the, the, the religious heat of the day wanted to stone this woman for her sin. She was caught red-handed, guilty as charged, and yet Jesus wanted more for this woman than justice. He wanted her to know the fullness of life that God desired for her. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus gently restored her and then was so bold as to suggest that we seek to restore those around us who are also caught up in the shackles of sin. See, Paul offers us a word of caution as we venture into these seek and rescue missions and ministries. He says, but be careful yourself or you also may be tempted. In other words, be careful, be prayerful. See, seek and rescue missions and ministries are not only concerned with those who have been caught in the snare of sin, but they also include those that are weighed down by burdens and troubles and, and, and the hardships of life. Now, Paul writes elsewhere, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the word for burdens in that verse means hardship, which is regarded as particularly burdensome and exhausting, heavy loads, burden, or oppressive suffering. Now, today, as we sit here, as you listen to this message, there are many burdens that as there are people listening. I mean, some of you are grieving over your loved ones that have gone home to be with the Lord. I've lost three or four good friends in the last week, heavenly homegoings. Some of you wish your kids understood how much you love them and that you really do have their best interests at heart. Some of you have that eyes that are just about dry from crying and you wonder if you're ever going to get any better. Some of you may be carrying a huge burden of financial debt and it wakes you up in the middle of the night. There may be those of you who struggle every day to stay clean and sober. There may be some of you that feel like you've blown it because of sexual immorality, and the enemy reminds you of your sin day after day after day after day. Uh, there may be those of you who suffer under the weight of sickness, and you prayed and prayed for healings, and I could go on and on and on. Now, if you are one of those folks, you need to know that you're not alone. God loves you so much that he has readied the forces of heaven and called his troops to attention so that they might come alongside of you and help you carry that burden. You also need to know that you're not the first nor the last person who's ever felt the weight of bone-crushing burdens. I mean, the very man who wrote this letter to the church in Galatia found great comfort in a young man named Titus who was willing to help shoulder his burden. Let me read you this from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writing. It says, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Now, friends, we who claim to be Christ's followers are called to come alongside broken people, to pray for them and to walk with them and to help them shoulder their burdens. And the sad thing is that in in many churches, the burdens of those who are hurting are often ignored because people don't want to mess in other people's businesses or they don't know what to say or what to do. And I'm going to have to tell you, in my 35 years of pastoral ministry, the one thing that I've learned is something called the ministry of presence. I don't know if you've ever been through at a funeral visitation and you're standing in the line as you're approaching the bereaved, you begin to wonder what kind of thing you could possibly say. And you kind of go through and you just shake their hand and nod and And guess what? I've done, been there, done that. The interesting thing, this is where I learned the ministry of presence. A couple of days later, when I'd see these people in church, they would say, Pastor, thank you for just being there. I mean, they weren't worried about what I said, but just being there, the ministry of presence, you can do that for people. But friends, let's be reminded that the church is more like the local hospital than anything else. It's a place where there are sick folks who confess their need for help. See, in hospitals, there are also caring family members who come from near and far to be with their loved ones who are ill and sit with them through the night if needed. There are also doctors and nurses who have been trained to help, and they make their rounds and see their patients. In a hospital, everybody has a purpose. Nobody is more valuable than anybody else. Everybody works together. The same scenario is present here in the family of God. I mean, this morning, there are people here who are ill, maybe who may be hurting and carrying heavy burdens. There are those here who know those that are hurting and they've been called by God to come alongside of their family and friends to help shoulder the weight of their worries. But there are also people here who care or are trained at helping folks and we pray that God will use us to do exactly that which he desires for us to do. We are all to work together for the glory of God and to lighten the load of those who are burdened down with the cares of this world. Now, here's another thought for you to consider. Those who are hurting now will be helping at other times. Those who are helping lighten the load will have their own loads lightened by those the Lord sends to help them in their time of need. And see, that's the the beauty of the body of Christ, Paul warns us once again when he writes, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, Paul is praying and warning against pride. I mean, throughout history, there's been a tendency on the part of some to look down on others because of the troubles they're experiencing. And there's nothing that would disqualify you or me so quickly from being used by God as pride. See, Paul wrote in other letters about how we are to view those that the Lord has placed in our lives. In Philippians chapter two, verses three and four, Paul writes: "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others." In his letter to the church in, in, in Rome, Romans chapter twelve, three, Paul once again reiterates the importance of this when he says: "For by the grace given me." I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Friends, we need to constantly be reminded by God's word and God's spirit that we live and thrive on his, by his grace alone. For those of us who are experiencing smooth sailing at this time, we need to realize that it's only by the grace of God and not our goodness or our intelligence or our good looks or any other personal attribute that smoothed our seas. And maybe our seas are smooth at this time because there's someone whose life is being overwhelmed by the swells of sorrow and the Lord desires to use us to help shoulder their burden. You see, when you read the Bible, you can read about the law of Moses, you can read about the Old Testament law, but there is no law of Jesus. Jesus didn't, did say that he was giving us a new command, but he never, uh, but never do we find him giving us a new law. Think about John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, and you see the command that Jesus gave his followers. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what, love one another. See, Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he did not do first. He says that we are to love one another as he has loved us. Now, what kind of love is it that Jesus offers to you and me? Well, it's a love of action. He didn't say, call me if you need me. He didn't say, oh, I'll pray for you and then walk away and forget. He gave his life for us and he continues to walk with us through this life and through the very presence of the spirit living in us. In 1 John 3, verse 23, we read about the command again as John writes, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. You see, friends, love is a verb in the life of a follower of Jesus. Jesus acted in the lives of those who are hurting and burdened down, and he asks us to act as well. Now, we can uh, sit here all day and talk about love and all of its technicalities and techniques, but those who are hurting don't need to just hear about love. They need the loving arms of the Father to engulf their sorrow. And they need the loving arms of God's people to lighten their load and to restore their brokenness. Now, if so, I want to give you an opportunity this morning, and I wish I could, Uh, to allow a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside you to help lighten your load. I mean, if you're weighed down with troubles, find that Christian friend and ask them to pray for you and to encourage you this day. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless. Restore lives.